Well, it is a real privilege for me to introduce to you our speaker this morning. You know him. It's Griffin Gilstrap. Griffin, Griffin is our high school uh, pastor. So, Griffin, come on out if you would. And apparently you got the dress code because we look like twins almost, all right? So you got the memo. But um, our... our, our just want to be like you. Guys. Thanks, bro. Thanks. So our, our middle school minister is uh, Stephen Law, and our high school pastor is Griffin and I am so proud of both of these guys. And then we've got three or four guys that are teaching pastors. Griffin's a teaching pastor here, Jonathan Adrian, Tom Goodlett, and myself. And so we're in for a treat today. I got to hear the sermon. He came in Tuesday and read it to me. And I told him, I said, it's the best sermon he's ever written yet. So let, would you welcome Griffin Gilstrap? <laughs> I've always wanted to be like Kurt. I'm just trying my best. So uh, I am terrified of small, tight spaces. Is anyone else claustrophobic that will admit it in the room? Yeah, I'm going to make you cringe real quick with a story. Is that okay? I didn't think so. I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, so when I was in college, uh, I played for Stetson University on the soccer team. And we traveled all over the southeast, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. Let's just say, because of our budget, we didn't stay in the nicest hotel rooms, okay? And so, inevitably, every Saturday morning, we would have to wake up early to get down to the bus, or to get down to breakfast, or to do something for a meeting, and we'd all be rushing to get there, because if you're late, there's consequences. You will be running for a long time. You can never be late. And so I was actually the first one to the elevator to get in, and then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of guys come around me, we're trying to get down there, and just as I'm about to close it, four or five more guys come into the elevator, and that's about the time I kind of hit my max, my comfort zone, about seven or eight in the elevator, I can handle that, but any more than that, I'm going to get a little shaky, right? And so a couple seconds later, ten more guys come around, gasps, yeah, ten, ten more guys come around, and because I was the first one, they all pile in, and I get stuck in the back corner, and guys, I'm telling you, I'm in like the standing fetal position, like, no, please get me out of this situation, I start to sweat, I'm about to cry, I don't think I've ever prayed as hard as I did when I'm back in the corner of this elevator, I mean, I got smushed in there, to me, it's like the closest thing to hell on earth I think I can imagine, all right? I was sweating. I was freaking out. And so if that wasn't bad enough, 20 of us packed into this, this little tiny elevator. As we start to go down, we're on the fifth floor, and someone got the idea that, hey, why don't we all jump at the same time? All of them. And I'm the only one saying no. There's like 19 other guys like, that's a great idea, perfect. And so in between floors three and two, they jump and we come to a screeching halt and we got stuck. Yes, my thoughts exactly. I'm literally in the back. This is like the second time I'm about to cry in this situation. I'm just in there and I remember it so vividly. I'm, I'm trapped in a scenario where there's no way out. There's, there's literally nothing I can do. We were trapped for seven or eight minutes. It felt like 78 minutes. And I remember the feeling. I'm literally in the corner. There's a guy next to me with like long hair tickling me. It's like, no, what? There's a guy in front of me that smells horrible. I'm like, what is going on? This is terrible. I remember like it was yesterday. I've got goosebumps thinking about it. 
We think about that idea of being trapped. And by the way, if you and I are in the elevator and I don't look like I feel like talking or I'm sweating or looking a little pale, I've got issues. So just don't take it personally if we don't, if we don't talk. I'm worried about getting stuck between one and two at Harborside, you know? That would not be good. But you think about that, that idea of being trapped in a situation, you're trapped in some place that you literally have no control over whether or not you can get out of it, right? You think about the, the feeling of helplessness, the feeling like you literally have zero control over the situation. There's nowhere to go and there's nowhere to turn. There's no way out of it. When our story today, there's a group of people trying to put Jesus in that very same scenario. They're trying to trap Jesus in a situation to where they can cause him to have no control over the situation. And so we're in a series called One Week to Live. And we're looking at the, the last week of Jesus' life. And last week, our Pastor Kurt, he gave us a beautiful context of about six stories in chapters 21 through 23 of the book of Matthew. Well, today I want to kind of take the lens and I want to zoom in to one story in particular. One story that relates to us in more ways than we think about these group of people trying to trap Jesus, trying to trap him. And so you have these Pharisees, this group of people called the Pharisees, and what these guys have done is they've made up their mind about who they think Jesus is. They've categorized him, they've made up their mind that he is not who he says he is, he's not the Messiah, he's not the Son of God. And they're going to do anything and everything to remove his influence and his power and authority over the people. They want to trap him. And so in verse 15 of the story, we're introduced to their plan of trapping him. And it says, the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words. And I love how specific Matthew gets that they want to trap him in his words. I think we all understand being trapped in our words, don't we? Especially if you're a man and you're married. You understand what it means to be trapped in your words, right? Oh, let me make you feel a little bit better. A few, four or five months ago, my wife was seven or eight months pregnant with our second daughter, Paisley. And at this time, for some reason, I had gotten into watching the show Kitchen Nightmares. Anybody a fan of the angriest English man on TV. It's Gordon Ramsay. He's just, just an angry man. He's trying to help people, but he can't stop yelling at them. And I think I like it because I'm never going to be that bold. But I have a sick thing. I like when he's yelling at people. It's bad. But, but I just got sucked into this show. And this one, one episode, he had this nickname for these guys, this, this chef. And the nickname, he kept calling him over and over in his accent, Big Boy big boy. And for some reason that just got tattooed in my head. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but when women are pregnant, they're a little self-conscious about their bodies. <laughs> just free information if you didn't know that. Apparently, I didn't know that. Yeah, you know where this is going. So we are, it's like Saturday morning. I'm trying to get all of us ready. And I'm usually the one behind getting ready. I'm just slow in the mornings. And we, had a, we have a one-year-old, Harper. She's running around with like no clothes on. It's a mess, right? And we're trying to get out of the, the, the condo. And I'm sitting by the door. And, and Heather's walking by me. 
into the kitchen, and all of a sudden, I lost my mind. (laughs) Someone else came in and just said, Heather, come on, big girl. (laughs) What? Why? (laughs) And I'm I'm telling you, I'll never forget this. It's as if the, the world paused. Heather's, Heather's walking and she stops, like with her back to me. And I'm like, what? wait a minute, what? And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I think my one-year-old looked at me and goes, Daddy, are you serious? Like, even she knows, you know? And I just kind of I didn't say anything. And she looks at me like, are you serious? Like, really? She said that. And here's the thing. I spent the next 15 minutes trying to explain kitchen nightmares and... Gordon Ramsay, it all makes sense, and she's, just be quiet, just stop, it's getting worse, you know. The, the point is, is that when you get caught in your words, there's long-term consequences, right? Let's just say that's not the last time I've heard about that story from my wife. I've, re- I've been reminded a few times of that thing that I said that one time, you know. See, there's always lingering consequences. If you get trapped in saying something people don't like or agree with, they will cling to it. They will latch on to it, right? We've all been in that situation at work or at home or with strangers, with anyone, right? And it's the same story and the same plan with Jesus. The Pharisees thought if they could catch him and his words, then we got him. Then we got him. Then we can dispute. If he says something wrong, then we can dispute the fact that he says he's the son of God. Then we can pose him against the people that are following him. Then we can gain control of him if we just catch him saying something wrong. And so we see their plan enacted in verse 17. It says, So tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? They wanted to trap him in this political question. You think about this. Why is it are they spending so much time trying to trap him? What do you gain when you trap something? What you gain when you trap something is you gain control, right? You want to control something when you try to box it in and and trap it. And the Pharisees wanted to gain control of Jesus so that they could have authority over him and so that he could be removed from his own authority. So they ask him this question about paying the tax to Caesar or not. And then he says this. This is his answer in verse 19. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius and they asked him, well, whose image is this? And whose inscriptions? They said, Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. I love when the Bible gives us how people react. They heard the words of Jesus and they couldn't dispute it. They were shocked. They were amazed that they couldn't trap him. Their whole goal and plan was to just gain control of Jesus, to box him in to the ways that they thought about him and they wanted to manipulate him so that they could gain power over Jesus in their life, so they could have authority. And Jesus' answer They were amazed at what he said. It was truth. They couldn't dispute it. See, I read this story. It's interesting that the Pharisees are spending time and effort and resources into trapping Jesus. When in fact, 
they're the ones in this story that are trapped. When you read this story, the Pharisees are the ones all throughout this, this gospel, this story, they're the ones that are trapped in their false beliefs of who Jesus really is. They're trapped in a way of thinking about God, and, and because they're trapped in limiting their understanding of who Jesus is and what he represents, they're missing the blessings and the glory of God right in front of them. Their goal is to just trap him and to gain power and control, and they're missing the blessings of Jesus that is standing right in front of him. You see, it's interesting when we we read this story and we see the Pharisees, we kind of judge them, right? We're going, how in the world are they missing this? Jesus is producing miracle after miracle that the world has literally never seen. Water to wine, he's, he's walking on water. He's bringing people back to life. He's healing people that have been lame for 38 years and they're walking just at the sound of his voice. People that have been blind are, are seeing leprosy, all kinds of miracles right in front of them and they can't even see it. They don't understand that they're trapped in a false understanding and belief of Jesus trying to control and manipulate the situation for them, they're trapped and they do not even know it. And it's easy to judge that and say, how in the world do they not get it? See, when I read this story, I actually see a lot of us in the Pharisees. You see, I think that there's, there's many of us going through our lives that are trapped And we don't even know it. We're looking at all aspects of our life and what we're trying to get and what we're fighting for and striving for in our life in every aspect is control. And we're trying to manipulate the situation of our lives, the things that we struggle with or deal with or decisions. And we're trying to gain control over them so they can work out for us. We're trying to do everything that makes sense to us, trying to have control And we may be missing God's glory and his blessings because we may be trapped and we don't even know it. You think about even with with money, how often do we try to have control over every aspect of our money and even our time? What we're giving and what we don't give and maybe we're trapped in a way of thinking about it that may not be God's desires. You think about relationships in the room. And I wonder if people are in here today that are in a relationship, even a marriage, and they feel trapped because it's a marriage that has become something that they didn't sign up for. And it feels like there's there's no way out and how do we fix this? And we try to control it to look like we want it to look and we try to figure it out on our own and it just keeps getting worse and we keep feeling more and more trapped. You think about your future or your jobs. I mean, how many of us are in a a job situation where we know it doesn't fulfill us? It doesn't doesn't fit the purpose that we want for ourselves, and and it's not exactly what we desire, yet it's paying the bills, and we feel trapped like we can't move forward, and what is it that's God's true purpose for me, and how can I do the things that truly fulfill me? We feel trapped in areas all all, all over our lives. And it's like there's no way out. 
And the way we keep trying to control it and do it ourselves, we keep getting more and more stuck and more and more trapped. And we don't know how to get out of it. Or better yet, some of us, we may not even know that we're trapped. So you ask, well, how do, we even, how do I even identify if I'm trapped? If I'm, if I'm in a situation that I can't get out of myself, how do I even know it? Or how do I find myself staying trapped in an area of my life? Well, in our story today, and you'll see this in your bulletin if you like to take notes, there's three aspects of the Pharisees that caused them to become trapped in this story. And the first one is this. You may be trapped if you find yourself justifying your behavior. In verse 16, it says, Then they sent their disciples, the Pharisees, to Jesus, along with the Herodians. This verse makes absolutely zero sense in this story. The Herodians and the Pharisees, if you were going to list the top five rivalries of the New Testament, the Herodians and the Pharisees would be in the top five. I mean, this is like Florida versus Florida State. You understand? This is some intense hatred and rivalry. This is like Democrats, Republicans. That's all I'll say about that one. It's a, it's a rivalry, right? This is like Griffin versus changing diapers. Hatred. We want no part of it, okay? And these Pharisees, they've, they've justified teaming up with these Herodians. And who are they? Well, some scholars believe they're the ones that went around to the Jewish people collecting taxes. And they would take more than the share of taxes and they would get rich off the Jewish people. And they represented everything that the Roman government stood for, which was directly opposed to what the Israelites stood for. There was this hatred between them. Yet, when they wanted to control Jesus and control God, and have power over him, they justified teaming up with him. How many times in our lives do we justify decisions so that we can fit what makes us happy now? So that we can do what makes sense to us that we know will bring some instant satisfaction or instant gratification, even if it stretches outside of the boundaries of God's desires for us? We're going to do it, and we're going to make excuses for it because it feels good now. In any aspect of our life, we justify doing something so that we can feel good in the moment, even if it goes against God's desires for us. The Pharisees went to great lengths to try to fill their own needs and desires, and they missed out on God's blessings, and they were trapped. So maybe we justify our behavior, and maybe we're trapped. Number two that we have the wrong motives. You could even write, cross out wrong and make it specific, selfish motives. We even have selfish motives. This verse in 18, it says, But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? See, when the Pharisees approached Jesus, they actually called him teacher and master. They had this false sense of, of worship of God to try to get from him what they wanted. Kurt said last week they were buttering him up to try to get what they wanted from him. They wanted to control him. When you read the book of Matthew, what you notice in everything that Jesus teaches is that he cares more about the heart than he does the behavior. He cares more about the why we do things than about the what that we do. 
He cares more about your intentions and your motivations on why you do certain things and and even how you approach God. Is it all about me? God, when I approach you, is it all about fulfilling my own desires? Is it all about making this life fit so I'm more comfortable and more happy? Does we make it about ourselves when we approach God? So a great question to ask yourself when you approach God in worship or in prayer What are my intentions with God? Do I approach him all for myself? Or do I truly seek first his kingdom and then all else is given to me? You see, when we want to have control and we make it about ourselves, we're trapped. And it's like there's no way out. And so we may have selfish motives. Number three, these Pharisees, they were led by pride. They were led by pride. When you look at the Pharisees in the Bible, in no place do you ever see God has lifted them up to be the authority in Israel. In the Old Testament, you have kings, you have priests, you have prophets. God has lifted and raised up people to be spiritual leaders. You never find that the Pharisees were chosen by God to be the spiritual leaders of that day. You know what they did? They raised themselves up to be their own authority. And how often do we do that in our own lives? We want to be our own authority. We want to control it so that it works out best for us. When I see that the word pride, such a broad term, but I see it in every aspect of my life. I see myself trying to make my marriage all about me. I see myself naturally trying to make my parenting and my kids all about me. And filling my comfort zone and what I need to see happen in my way is the best way. I see it sometimes in how I'm a pastor and leading students and families. That I make it about me, which removes God from the equation. And I try to be my own authority. And it always leads to being trapped. And the Pharisees got it wrong. They wanted to be their own authority. Pride came in. It became all about themselves. And they couldn't see that Jesus was right in front of them, their Savior. And so maybe one of those three applies to you. Maybe you find yourself struggling in one of those areas, and you may be trapped trying to gain control. And so you ask, well, if, if I'm trapped in an area of my life, my marriage with money, with job, with future, how do I get free? I mean, that's the question, right? How do I find myself getting out of a situation where I'm backed into the corner and it feels like there's no way out. The more I try to get myself out, the more I feel trapped and confined and stuck. How do you get out? Well, the end of this story is the saddest part of the story. And in Matthew 22, verse 22, it says, When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. The Pharisees were presented with the truth of God's word. Don't miss this. They heard the truth. They almost agreed with it. There was no way to refute it. There was no way to argue against it. There was no way to say, Jesus, you're wrong. I can prove it. They couldn't, and they were amazed by the truth of God's word. Then they turned around, and they walked away from it. They heard the truth of God's word, and they turned their backs on it. And they walked away, and they walked right back in to being trapped. 
And so how do you get free from these traps in your life? It's simple. You, you release control to Jesus. You release control to Jesus. You see, your decision today, as it relates to God's word, determines your destiny. Your decision with what you do with God's word determines your destiny when it comes to being trapped in some area of your life. Whether or not we accept God's word and let it become a part of us dictates whether we stay trapped and confined and suffocated in the traps of our lives. Your decision determines that destiny of whether you're trapped or not. You see, I think whether you're a a Christian or not in the room, This is probably one of the biggest questions we all face when it comes to a relationship with God. Is God's word really trustworthy? In in every aspect of my life, can I fully trust with all of me that God's way is the best way? That that if I give myself fully to God, if, if I just let go of controlling every aspect of my life and trust that God's word will guide me to where I need to be, is it trustworthy? Can I fully rely on it in every aspect? Even in the aspects that call you to change your mindset and the way you live your life in many different ways. Things you've done for years that God's going, let me take control. Do you trust in it? Your decision with God's word dictates whether or not you are freed from the traps of your life or whether you walk right back into them. A few years ago, after college, I had the opportunity to go on a trip to Costa Rica. And in Costa Rica, we visited an active volcano, and and they had zip lining tours all throughout this jungle area. And these zip lines were the longest in Costa Rica, four and five hundred feet long. I mean, it was like 300 feet off the ground. And the first four times that we went, they, they give you these leather hand straps to, be, to act as your brakes. And so if you're going too fast or you get a little scared or your body starts to spin the way you don't want it to, you can grasp on with the leather straps and slow yourself down on the zip line. And so the first four times I went on the zip line, I literally grabbed too tight onto the zip line and got stuck 100 feet from where I was supposed to go at the end. And just picture little old me just in the middle of the Costa Rican jungle, hanging from a rope in the middle of this zip line. And four times in a row it happened. I couldn't get it right myself. And I remember feeling embarrassed. There's like 20 people waiting on me to go to the next one. I mean, there's like five-year-olds getting this. I can't figure it out. I remember feeling like, gosh, I was, I was stuck. I kept getting stuck the way I was doing it. And I was tired. I mean, you had to pull my, I had to pull myself hand over hand all the way back to the dock and took 10 minutes and and I was just tired. I was tired of feeling stuck and I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to get out of it. And so the next time we went on the next zip line, the longest one, 500 feet long, the guy looks at me and he says, just listen to me. I want you to just kind of relax on the line and just, just let yourself sway and he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you off as fast as I can. He goes, here's what you need to do. He says, if you want to get to where you want to be at the end, you just need to take your arms and you need to hold them out the entire time you're on that zip line. He said, I don't want you to touch the zip line once. He made it very clear. 
don't grab hold of it, even when it seems uncomfortable, even when it feels like you're spinning out of control and it, and it doesn't make sense and you just want to grab hold of it and do it yourself, just keep your arms out. Don't touch it and let yourself be taken to where you need to be. So I listened to him and he threw me off the dock and I'm going and I mean within 10 seconds I'm wanting to grab this thing. I'm spinning around. It, it feels uncomfortable and it doesn't make sense. I wanted to just stop myself and do it myself. I flew so hard into the dock that I almost knocked the guy over. <laughs> I mean, I got to where I needed to be easier than I ever had before. And I had nothing to do with it. I just left my arms out the whole time. And church, I wonder for some of us if God is calling for many of us to do the same thing with our lives. is to just take ourselves off. Just loosen the grip of whatever it is you feel trapped in and you just release control to God and let him take over because you will be guided to the place that you are supposed to be easier than you ever imagined. He will remove you from whatever binds you and traps you in and he will make sure that you get to the place that he desires you to be. Sometimes you just have to let go and loosen the grips. When you release control of your life to Jesus, God takes control and he frees you from your traps. The more you have control, the more you will stay trapped in your life. And so you think about God's word. Your decision determines your destiny. When it comes to your money, do you trust in God's word when it says to, to lean not on your own understanding, that I will make your, your path straight? When it, when it comes to your job and your future, that I, I will never leave you or forsake you? When it comes to, to friendships and relationships and business partners and who you combine yourself with, do you trust in 2 Corinthians that don't yoke yourself with, with unbelievers that you put yourself around the right people, that God's way is the best way? Do you trust in, in Ephesians 5 when it says in your marriage, husbands, give yourself up, sacrifice for your wife, and wives, respect your husbands, and your marriage will be where it needs to be. Your decision determines your destiny when it comes to, comes to God's word and feeling trapped in an area of your life. Well, at the end of this, this story in verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them, so give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. And I know some of you are in the room, you're going, how do I even begin to think about releasing control of my life to God? I'm not even there yet. How, how do I know I, he's trustworthy? How do I know God is someone that I can fully rely on? See, in the scripture, he says, give back to God what is God's. And the question is, what is God's? Well, church, the answer is you. And the answer is me. What God wants us to give back to him, he's not concerned about the taxes or the money. He's telling the Pharisees, if you release control and you give yourself over to me, you will be freed from your traps you will be released. You will see the blessings and the glory of me right in front of you. You won't miss it. 
I will remove you from the traps. And how do we trust in that? It's because when Jesus came into this earth and he gave himself up on the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed, he freed us from the traps of sin. And what he did on that cross is was he released the burden from us onto himself of the sin that has plenty of punishment. And he removed the punishment and the consequences from our lives and we were freed from sins past, present, and future into a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's why we can trust him. That's why it's worth releasing control because he knows where he wants to take you. And he wants to free you from whatever binds you, whatever holds you back, wherever you feel like you're suffocating in your life. Your decision with God's word determines your destiny. Many people turn and they walk away from it. They can't deny it. They can't reject it. But they also don't accept it. And they just walk away. I'm calling us to do something different today.